Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. In this episode, we explore physical therapy and what you can expect during sessions as we discuss common activities and potential benefits for your child. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. So physical therapy is something that not every child will necessarily need. Our youngest child did not need physical therapy, but our older child, it became pretty prevalent that she did need physical therapy really early on. We learned about her physical therapy needs through an assessment through Infants and Toddlers Program. They had a free physical therapist come and check by during one of our sessions, and they were just evaluating because we had some concerns. Some of our concerns were the fact that our older child would fall a lot when she would walk. She wasn't able to really get from place to place without tripping. And initially we thought, oh, maybe she's tripping on the toy or something like that. But as we paid closer attention, we noticed that she was tripping on absolutely nothing. There was nothing on the floor, no obstacles, anything like that. And she was constantly kind of falling over herself. We also noticed that this would happen when she would transition from, for example, tile to carpet, or anytime there was a transition in texture on the ground. She wasn't able to really transition well from the different textured floors, and that would also cause her to fall. So the first thing that they did was have that physical therapist come in with infants and toddlers to take a look at her, and they noticed that it seemed that her hypotonia or low muscle tone may be contributing to her having some balance issues and some other issues that were contributing contributing to her difficulty with walking and running. And they also noticed that her ankles were kind of buckling in a little bit. So from there, we were actually referred to an orthopedic. And the orthopedic doctor would basically check her physically and make sure that there wasn't anything physically wrong with her feet or to see if she would be referred to have some sort of like x-rays or anything like that. Luckily, when we got her evaluated, there was nothing wrong physically with her feet. It was just a matter of her muscle tone that was causing the issue. So we got an official referral for physical therapy and she went starting off with just the balancing and walking issue. But once we got her into physical therapy, we actually found out through the therapy sessions that there was a lot more to it than that. And there were some other areas that she had to work on as well. So your child may or may not need physical therapy, but if you feel like there's something going on that you can't quite explain, it never hurts to get an opinion. Yes, our uh, oldest daughter really had balancing issues. She wasn't able to transition with the different types of density or texture from one floor type to another. So when we had gotten her into physical therapy, first off the bat, she was falling immediately. They had different types of mats with different densities. So when she would step from one to the other, she would immediately fall. And even from just the plain standard tile floor in the physical therapy office to the first mat, she would fall immediately. 
So we had to start off very, very small and basically kind of just get her to stand on the mat while she was performing small little activities. There was a a magnet board and they had her play with little magnets while she was standing on the mat to work on her stability. And then we were slowly over time able to try and introduce her to actually walking on the mats themselves. In physical therapy, they have a bunch of different kinds of mats. They started her off with a flat mat, and the flat mat has no angle to it. It's just completely flat, but it's cushioned, it's padded. And the theory behind that is if your child is walking on a cushioned surface, that cushioned surface has a little bit of give. And since it has a little bit of give, it requires your child to have to engage their core muscles to be able to balance and stand. So it's kind of like a passive way of having your child exercise their core muscles without them even know they're exercising just by having them walk on a padded cushion. There were other cushions that once your child transitions after being able to do that skill, they add an incline to it. So there's the flat mat padded cushions that they'll start them off with. And then they have padded cushions that are at an angle. And there's some angles that are steeper than others. The goal is to gradually increase that angle so that they're having to put in more work in their core muscles and other areas to to be able to balance and not fall. But they start flat and gradually pick it up. And then another kind of in the same realm is the idea of the the balance beam. Now, obviously, there was no height with the balance beam. It was right on the floor. If she fell, she fell two inches off to the ground. But I think the purpose of this, and correct me if I'm wrong, Leah, was more so to have her walking with a direction and a purpose. So my understanding is if she walks on a mat, she can kind of just walk shoulder length apart and kind of wobble like a penguin if she wanted to, she would still be able to stabilize herself and she wouldn't fall. But when you're put on a narrow balance beam of four to six inches, it forces you to walk in a very precise line with a purpose. And there isn't really any error for (laughs) messing up more or less. Yeah. And that also kind of forces your child again to engage that core. Because if you think about it, when you're trying to balance, you're focusing really hard on contracting your muscles a certain way so that your body doesn't fall off. So that is one way to start them off. They do kind of like a balance beam that's flush to the ground. So they're not in the air. They'll start off flush to the ground. I know some places will also gradually increase the height on that depending on the age of your child. So if you have a really young child like ours, like a toddler, that will probably stay flush to the ground. If you have a kid who's a little bit older, they'll probably try to gradually increase a little bit of height to make it a little more challenging for them. The other great thing about that is it kind of forces your child to focus and pay attention and be aware of their surroundings because part of the problem with autistic children and ours in particular is difficulty with the body surround and body awareness and their awareness of self in space which means they aren't really able to discern where they are in space. Our child, for example, when she was at the playground, she would be running up a ramp and fall right off the edge and not realizing that it ends there and that she would have to turn. She would just keep running and not really realize that, oh, there's, there's an edge. If I keep going, I'm going to fall. So part of this activity was to help her gain some of that spatial awareness and recognize that I need to stay on the beam. I need to put my eyes and focus and attention on this to stay on the beam. Otherwise, I'll fall off. You raise a good point with the spatial awareness because it became a flat out safety issue. Even something as small as just stepping off of a curb from the sidewalk to the street to cross the street, she would be completely unaware that there was even a step down. So you're just thinking in your everyday life where you encounter a small little change in you're no longer walking on a flat surface, there's a step. 
she would not even notice any type of change and she would just keep walking as if it was flat and would ultimately fall. I mean, thankfully, we were always there to catch her or hold her hand, but it was definitely something that we had to keep an eye out for. And the other great part about the balance beam is it is diverse. The one that they have that's a mat, it's one that's flush to the ground, but you can move it. So they were able to move it to different locations, which would allow them to be able to put activities in front of it. Matt, you mentioned the magnets was one of the activities. There's other activities that they use to engage your child. There's these toys that are called squigs, and they're essentially like suction cups, kind of, that you can stick onto flat surfaces like windows and walls and things like that. In physical therapy, they would take either the balance beam or they'd take like those cushioned ramps or cushioned stairs. They would put those up flush against a wall or window where they would stick a bunch of these squigs. And once they would get her up there, it would hold her attention so that she could practice some of the skills they were working on. And in keeping with the theme of balance, one of the reasons that we were going through PT was also to kind of build her core strength. So her balance was bad and she was constantly falling. But on top of that, she also had weak core muscles. So she wasn't able to really stabilize herself. This is critical for something as small as going up the stairs. She would lean backwards where we would have to basically be behind her, holding her in place as she would walk up the stairs, being able to kind of stay in her own space and not kind of fall one way or the other as she's going up the stairs. Yeah, and that was also pretty obvious with her inability to go down a slide. That core strength really became obvious to us once the physical therapist pointed it out. We didn't notice before, but when she would go up the stairs, which she needed assistance in, that was another thing we were working on is climbing stairs. She couldn't do that. But we would help her go up the stairs of the slide. And then when she would go down the slide, a typical kid who goes down a slide will be able to stay in seated position and slide down no problem. Anytime she would go down the slide, she would just fly back. So her head would fly back and her and she would essentially slide down, laying down on her back because she couldn't keep herself in the seated position. The therapist was telling us that her core muscles were too weak to keep her body up and keep the muscles engaged enough for her to be able to do that. So that was another thing that we ended up working on in physical therapy was really working on strengthening those core muscles so that she could do something as simple as go play at a playground without having to worry about getting injured. And some of the activities that we had worked on to try and strengthen her core was in physical therapy, we would use a platform swing. And we mentioned in the occupational therapy, they were also using a platform swing more so for kind of the the sensory of the motion. But in physical therapy, they were focusing primarily on kind of her core muscles, making sure that she was able to stay in place as the swing was going back and forth. Granted, it wasn't going very high, very far. It was very, very gradual. Our daughter had her feet kind of dragging on the ground, so she was in complete control. But we also noticed that as soon as the swing would start to go forward, our daughter would have to lift up her legs as a counterbalance as where if she had a stronger core, she would be able to stay in place without necessarily having to shift her weight to try and prevent from falling backwards. So we had gone through many therapy sessions and we're still working on her core balance today. Because of all the physical therapy that she's had, she did completely resolve her issue of falling on the floor. So she no longer trips over her feet. She's completely resolved that. I know she's able to run, but I can tell that she's still not super confident in her running ability. But she doesn't fall anymore, which is great. That's kind of an ongoing issue because if your child does in fact have hypotonia like our child, which is low muscle tone, that's a lifelong thing. There isn't anything you can really do about it other than physical therapy. So sometimes people with hypotonia need lifelong physical therapy. Sometimes you don't. It just depends on the severity and how much it affects your quality of life. 
So for her, we've done a little bit of a pause for physical therapy right now. We would like to do some more, but we have decided to prioritize other therapies that are a little more critical right now. But we think in the future, we'll probably continue doing that. And I I think and I suspect that a lot of children who do go into physical therapy for hypotonia will likely need to continue long term as well. And there are ways to still improve. Like in our case, we're focusing kind of on core strength. And there are other ways that you're able to improve core strength other than needing to use like the platform swing, for example. One example is crawling through a tunnel as far as being able to stabilize yourself in order to crawl through the tunnel. So we've set up multiple Amazon boxes or whatever, cut holes in them, made a a series of tunnels, or even just purchasing a small, cheap fabric tunnel so they can practice going through the tunnel. As well as, this is a bit more fun, creating a like mini obstacle course for them. So she can go from one unstable surface, that might be like a pillow or something, to the floor, have to climb over something, then go through a tunnel. So by having her kind of challenge her own ability would necessarily strengthen her core muscles and improve over time as she continuously practices that. Other great ways to engage core is pushing things and knocking things over. This is one of the activities that they would do in physical therapy as well. They had a lot of these foam blocks that were in, they were different densities. So some of them were heavier than others and some were stacked and some were just balanced and they would have her practice shoving them over. We noticed that with her initially, it was really hard to get her to do any sort of activity standing. She always wanted to sit. And that was a struggle initially was just getting her comfortable with standing because the the cushioned floor may make your child feel unbalanced and uncomfortable. So initially they might not be comfortable with standing up and they'll need a little bit of encouragement to do that until they get used to it. But once she got used to it, that opened up the ability for her to do some of the tasks that required standing and pushing. And that's some of that heavy work that I mentioned in the last episode. Heavy work is work that requires your child to really put in that physical core muscle effort. It's called heavy work because usually you want to put some sort of resistance in there. The resistance can be something that's like pushing or pulling or tugging or anything like that. In our case, our daughter's heavy work was mostly pushing these big, blocks down. They were probably like the height of her. So they were they're pretty big and she had to use all her core muscle strength to shove them over kind of like a Jenga tower. And I'm not sure if this would fall under the category of heavy work too, but they also at PT would have the the weighted balls, the medicine balls that they would have her carry and put in like the little shopping cart and they would have different weights involved. And obviously they were all within guidelines. So she was never at risk for any type of injury. So she would carry one ball and then a little bit heavier and she would actually have to work to lift up the ball because I mean, it was heavy for her. So I'm not sure if that necessarily falls into the same category of heavy work or if that's slightly different or has a different purpose altogether. That actually does count as heavy work. Those I think were the, are you talking about the yucky medicine balls, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So th- there, there's these type of weighted balls called yucky medicine balls, and they're great for both PT and OT. By the way, PT is an abbreviation for physical therapy that's commonly used. For OT, I think we mentioned in the last episode, they might use that more for sensory related reasons. In PT, they use it more for that core engagement. And the yucky medicine balls, these have a texture to them that makes it easier for kids to grip if they do have some fine motor issues. So sometimes a physical therapist will have that there just to have that extra assistance in case that child has that difficulty. But what's great about those is they vary in weights drastically. So there's some that are super, super light. There's some that are super heavy and there's some in between. 
It's great because it covers all spans of kids' development. So if you have a two-year-old who's going to physical therapy, they can still use the yucky medicine balls. They'll just use the lower weight. If you have a 10, 11, 12-year-old going to physical therapy, there's a ball that is weighted heavier so that they can do the same thing. The great thing about physical therapy is if you're listening to this and you have a very young child or you have a much older child, honestly, the tasks don't vary that much. What your child's going to be doing is pretty similar regardless of their age. It's just a matter of how they adapt that task for your child. They might just increase the weight. They might increase the resistance the older your child is. Or if your child is of an older age, they might incorporate some unique things like our physical therapist had a rock climbing wall. Our child was definitely too young for that. But for older children who are working on core development, they might use that rock climbing wall to help engage not just the core, but the rest of the body muscles to pull yourself up. So they do definitely have a range of activities for a wide range of ages. And I think you do a great job of mentioning one of our main points when we were going to physical therapy was focusing kind of on the what is a age milestone that she would be meeting. So for us, we were focused more so on she didn't have the ability to jump. So our our goal was trying to get her on a trampoline where she would be able to jump. Another big one was kind of going up the stairs. So she was about two or so. So we were still working on going up the stairs and just little things like that that have it pegged to a certain age of, okay, we we need to see if we're able to get her to start to achieve some of these tasks that kind of keep her on the right trajectory moving forward. The other great thing about physical therapy is it's very specifically tailored to your child. So our kid had those three targeted goals and your child may have different targeted goals. Depending on their delay and their age, some things may be considered a delay or may not be depending on their age. So jumping is a delay for our kid because of her age, but if your kid was younger, that wouldn't be considered a delay yet, so they wouldn't work on that skill. For older kids, they are going to be having a different set of guidelines than younger kids because their development is supposed to be at a higher level than that of, for example, a toddler. So the skills that you work on during those activities are going to be completely different. Or they could be similar if your kid is particularly delayed in that area. So again, it's very, very, very child specific. Right. I think that's important because, I mean, you you go into the physical therapy and then they find out where your struggles are and they try and improve upon those, focusing on those individual needs for that child. So I think that was really helpful for us. For us, I mean, jumping is still quite a challenge. We haven't gotten her to actually achieve vertical velocity. <laughs> lift. There's no lift. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, she's she's making good progress and she gets the idea of when we say, oh, jump, jump. She'll Bounce. bend, she'll bend her, her knees and kind of go on her, her toes. So she, she gets the idea of kind of the process of the jumping. It's just the the next level is actually getting the lift component. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing to mention is that when you go in to see the physical therapist for the first time, what they'll probably do is the initial assessment or evaluation, which is mostly observation and interview style questions. It's very similar to diagnosis day with autism and all, all these other therapies. They all have a similar trend of some component of interview style questions and observation. On that first day, they're going to ask you what your concerns are about your child. So again, for us, it was really the fact that she kept falling and tripping over her feet. What may happen is that throughout the session, they notice other things. After the interview portion, they just start observation, right? So then your child is going to be observed in play activity, typically. So they have different tasks. They might have like an obstacle course pre-set up in the room for your kid. That's usually what was set up for our kid. And then they'll just let your child do whatever they naturally want to do. 
they're not forced to do anything. If you have a therapist that is forcing your child to do something against their will, like that's a bad therapist, find a new therapist. Definitely do not stay with that therapist because it should be child led. And so while your child is going through these activities, they're going to be making observations. They might ask you questions like, I noticed she fell when she did this. Is that something that you would normally observe happening at home as well? Or is this kind of a unique one-time thing? They'll gauge that level of difficulty and tasks through that process. And then they'll make goals with you based off of that evaluation. That is how we realized that there were actually more issues than her just tripping on her feet. That initial evaluation gave us some feedback that she was a little more delayed in some other areas as well, like the jumping, the the core engagement going down the slide. We had no idea until physical therapy that that was an issue. I never thought to think oh, she's falling back when she goes on the slide. I was actually blaming myself on that because I remember when she was really little, I was worried about her falling forward on the slide when she was sitting down because she would still try and put her feet down. I thought she would kind of (laughs) project herself forward. So I would almost kind of lie her back a little bit more than what you would naturally do going down the slide. So I was kind of blaming myself with the idea that maybe I had unintentionally taught her how to go down the slide incorrectly without knowing one way or the other. Overall, we found that physical therapy was actually really, really, really helpful because it it not only opened our eyes to some new potential problem areas, but it really, really helped her with some key critical areas like the falling down. You you simply can't go through life if you're constantly falling. It, it just makes it impossible for you to be able to do anything, especially with social interactions, which is part of autism spectrum disorder. You can't socially interact with other people if you can't get to other people. You can't play tag and hide and seek if you can't walk or run. So that was really important for us in particular. And it's something that we're really happy to say we did actually get completely resolved with physical therapy. Right. I was going to say, I mean, we definitely resolved as far as her falling down. There are still areas that obviously we're still working on with her. So I think it's a ongoing process. And I'm sure that as we kind of continue down the road, when she gets a little bit older, we're going to focus on the different aged milestones, making sure that she's still able to kind of hit those marks as necessary. Keep in mind that, again, each child is unique and each child is on their own timeline. So do not feel discouraged if you notice coming up on some milestone evaluation that your child is physically developing at a slower pace than everyone else. I know with our child, we started noticing this during the milestone evaluations in her pediatrician's office. And I've talked to a lot of mothers that say every time they go to these milestone evaluations, it's always like a gut punch. They're always taken aback with, man, my kid is so behind. This is so torturous to go into these meetings and then notice every single time I have to mark no, no, no to every question of, does your child meet this milestone? But I would challenge you guys to try to look at things in a more positive perspective. Just keep in mind that your child is uniquely yours. It is their specific target area. It's their specific goals. You don't need to compare their goals to another child. Even if you have multiple children, don't need to compare it with other of your children. Each child is unique and has their own unique challenges and their own unique strengths. So when you're taking your child to physical therapy, if you do in fact get a feedback of, oh, did you realize this was also delayed and this was also delayed and this was also delayed? It does initially feel like a bit of a setback, like, oh man, I came here to try to resolve an issue and I came in with one and came out with four. 
At first, that might be a little bit daunting and it might make you feel discouraged, but I I would just challenge you to look at it in a positive way because you are finding problems early and you're targeting these problems initially. So you're going to make more improvements the more you know, rather than trying to avoid it just to avoid disappointment because it's, it's not really about disappointment. It's about helping your child in any way you can so that they can be the best version of them that they can be. And it might sound dumb. I remember seeing a quote on a board, I think when we were going to occupational therapy or physical therapy, and it was basically the concept of popcorn kernels that if you're making popcorn, they're all in the same oil. They're all provided with the same amount of heat. And yet not all the popcorn kernels pop at the same time. They all pop at their own individual time and moment. One is not necessarily better than another just because they pop early versus one that takes a little bit longer to pop. I mean, but I, I don't know why, but that phrase kind of stuck with me. I'm kind of like, okay, like we we got this. We definitely are on our path and we're getting things done. And I also wanted to, to mention one of the, dare I say, annoying things about physical therapy is the equipment that they use for physical therapy is incredibly expensive. I mean, not everyone, I mean, including ourselves, can afford a mat that might cost thousands of dollars to do physical therapy. And I think this is where you kind of get to become creative in creating a physical therapy environment for your child. I might not be able to purchase a approved gym mat for $2,000 to work on her balance, but I have a, a mattress, a few foam cushions on a sofa that I can put on the floor and I can have her walk from one cushion to the other. We can play the floor is lava in our living room. I mean, there's there's activities that we're able to do to mirror the very expensive components and equipment that we would encounter in physical therapy. It doesn't mean that we can only work on physical therapy in the PT office itself. If any of you guys are handy or crafty people out there, I know Matt and I have looked into building some of these tools ourselves. For example, the platform swing. That is super expensive. A platform swing runs at least $300 on average for just the swing and some rope. It's honestly pretty overpriced in my opinion, but there are YouTube videos out there that exist that show you how you can make your own platform swing in like something like $50 worth of materials. It was like $50 or or less or something. Yeah, so if you feel comfortable with, you know, arts and crafts and handyman work, then I would just encourage you to look on YouTube and Google some of these resources if you feel up to it, because it's honestly a much cheaper alternative. Right. And that way you won't break the bank trying to support all these therapies. You're, you're working smarter, not hard. Or is that backwards? <laughs> you're working. Yeah, that's you're, true. You're working smarter, not, not harder. harder. Okay. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and, and that's another reason why Matt and I actually decided that of all the therapies, this was the one that we decided to scale back because with the time management issue, we weren't able to have enough resources to be able to take her to all of these therapies. And although we feel that she definitely still needs physical therapy, we felt comfortable enough in our ability to recreate these activities at home. So we have tunnels that she can go through. We have stairs that she can work on climbing. And another great solution is if you have a local playground, if your child is younger, there's usually the younger area. And then if your child's older, there's usually an older playground area. That's great for makeshift PT. Like most of the activities there are climbing activities, crawling activities, jumping activities, 
There's so much available there that is essentially what you would do in physical therapy anyway. If you have an older child, even older than that, like, you know, 15, 16, 17, those kids, you might want to be able to bring them to places like Sky Zone or some other areas that are for the older audience that have a lot of that like jumping and trampolines and all sorts of stuff there. So that's kind of like their equivalent of a playground. Or I think of the the uh, what is it the bouncy houses for like Hall- Halloween or whatever they have like they set up sometimes like the bouncy houses or whatever. But uh, but obviously I mean that's like a an off time you can't bank on that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I will say one of the things we did do as as a result of having to cancel physical therapy is we did actually buy an indoor bouncy house for our oh, child. Oh, that's true. I forgot that that could be considered. <laughs> yeah, so we did actually purchase one of those because one of her struggles is her inability to learn how to jump, and so we got a bouncy house and it's indoors, and she's able to practice on that. We got a tricycle for her to practice the motor planning, which is basically a lot of autistic kids struggle with motor planning, which is kind of getting your brain to communicate with your body. So if you say, I want my feet to pedal, it takes a little bit of work for your brain to get the signal to your feet to actually pedal a bicycle. So that's something that they work on in physical therapy as well. But you can easily get a bicycle at home and do that with your child at home. And I think we also had the conversation with our physical therapist as far as what activities can we work on at home. And I mean, she was fantastic. She, I mean, basically provided us a list of basically how to work on such activities to improve core strength, balance, whatever we were trying to improve from home without all the equipment that they have in the office. Yeah, she actually was the one who let us know about that bounce house in particular. If your child is beyond that infants and toddlers age where they're not able to get access to that physical therapist... They may be able to get it through the IEP and the local public school system. I don't have experience with that, so I'm not sure if they're able to consult with you, but my suspicion is they probably can. You can have a conversation with them about the kids' specific challenges and see what they might recommend for you to purchase at home to work on. Otherwise, if that's not an option, you might want to consider just going to a physical therapist for like one or two sessions just so that they can evaluate your child, observe your child, and then you can ask them like, what are some recommendations I can do to do this at home because I'm not really able to bring them to physical therapy consistently. So those are some options as well. Yeah. And overall, I think physical therapy was, I mean, very beneficial for the groundwork and the foundation of getting us started and heading in the right direction. I mean, we wouldn't have known many of the the areas that we needed to even work on without having consulted with a physical therapist in the first place. I definitely would say if you're considering physical therapy, if you've been referred to physical therapy, if your child is struggling with any sort of gross motor issues, I would 100% recommend that you get your child evaluated with a physical therapist. See what they have to say. If they do encourage you to do physical therapy, I would do it for at least a month to get an idea of whether or not you think that's something your child would benefit from. And if you feel like financially you can't really handle it or time-wise you don't have the time, then just consider doing it at home after that point. But I would definitely give physical therapy consideration if it's something that's already on your radar. And I would also add to keep in track or keep in track of how many sessions you're going to for physical therapy. I know for our insurance company, they had a set number of how many sessions we were actually allowed to partake in before the bill would actually come fully to us and we wouldn't just be paying the copay, we'd be paying the the entire balance of the session. So definitely stay in contact, I guess more so with your insurance and the front office to have them notify you how many sessions you have. 
and just keep track of that. And then when you do finish the set series of however many sessions your insurance will allow, then you can either have the conversation with a physical therapist or if your insurance will allow the habilitative shift, I would definitely recommend that as well if, if it's still needed. But that's definitely something I would keep in mind and don't go into this blindly. Otherwise, you might be getting a bill for much more than just the uh, copay. <laughs> yes, definitely make sure that whenever you go to your therapy sessions, whether it's PT or OT or whatever it may be, make sure you let them know in advance. Let me know when my insurance is no longer billing this so that they don't just keep billing you because you will get billed the entire price and it gets really pricey really fast. I mean, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. So definitely do that. The other thing that I want to add on to what you said there is when it comes to the habilitative services, what we ran into was with the speech and occupational therapy, it was covered on limited sessions with habilitative. However, physical therapy was not covered. And the reason our insurance cited was because of the facility that was doing the physical therapy. So for some reason, they wouldn't qualify our particular facility as one that counts for habilitative, but the other facility that we had that was doing the OT and the ST did count. So you might want to get in touch with the insurance company and the facility in advance and see if they are one that qualifies as habilitative. If not, I would look into other physical therapy clinics in the area that do. And I think one of the reasons why is our physical therapy was outside of the autism center facility itself. Yes, the the main issue with that is the insurance will only cover it as habilitative if you can prove that the reason they're going to physical therapy is directly related to their autism spectrum disorder. Our other clinic was an autism clinic, so they knew by default all the therapies there were meant for autism. This clinic was a generic rehab facility clinic, and so they did not have an autism code in their medical code system. So you have to make sure wherever you go, they have an autism code for habilitative physical therapy. So that's pretty much all we have for today's episode. To recap, in this episode, we discussed how physical therapy can help your child work on balance, core strength, and coordination, among other key areas, as well as how you can recreate physical therapy at home through use of items such as tunnels, bounce houses, playgrounds, or other creative means. Thanks for listening to Embracing Autism. Tune in next time when we will deep dive into all things speech therapy and answer questions such as, how can my child benefit from speech therapy? What are some forms of communication my child may be taught? And will my child learn to speak? This has been Embracing Autism. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.